Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today I am excited to be speaking with Marina Elari about video games localization, something that she has an in-depth knowledge of and her company specializes in working with video game developers. This is a very large segment of our digital economy within localization. Marina Elari is the CEO of Terra Translations, a global localization and LQA company specialized in the video game industry. Marina has 20 years of experience in the localization industry and a lifetime experience as a gamer. In 2017, she she received the Women-Owned Business Enterprise Rising Star Award presented by the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation to a young business with great promise. And in 2020, she received the Enterprising Woman of the Year Award. In 2023, Terra Localization was listed by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk Podcast, Marina. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Please introduce yourself and give us background about your role in the localization industry. Sure. Well, I've been part of the localization industry for almost 20 years. I trained as a translator. I'm, I am certified by the American Translators Association as a translator of Spanish. And also I have a postgraduate degree as an expert in video game localization. Um, I started out as a linguist, uh, helping my mother's company uh, and... I worked as a as a translator, editor, project manager, vendor manager. I really did <laughs> wear many hats for many years. And seven years ago, I took over the role of CEO of the company. So th- that's where I am now. And that's uh, the sort of the short version of the story. <laughs> Let's hear about that, Marina. How did you decide to enter this industry? Was it a choice or an accident? You said that you kind of uh, helped at the very beginning. It, it, mm-hmm. it, can you give us some more details in terms of how you decided to seriously take this industry on and, and become a player in it. Sure. It's always interesting to hear the stories of people who work in localization because they are so diverse, right? Um, I actually never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now. I always saw the translation profession as what my mother did. Uh, it was her thing. <laughs> so I wanted to forge a different path for myself. I, I actually ended up working in theater for four years before becoming a translator and eventually joining my mother's business. So you could say that I had a, a rather unconventional journey to localization. Uh, and also for people who think theater and localization have nothing in common, I would challenge that <laughs> because my work in theater has actually helped me a lot. Yeah in my career now, surprisingly. What has changed since you joined the the localization industry, Marina? What are some of the key and significant things that have shaped your own experience within this industry? Well, when I first started out, I was using Tritos 2006. So I definitely, you know, a lot has changed since then. I I remember translators panic at the time that cat tools were going to replace us and steal our job, uh, when in reality, they helped so much with our productivity and with the overall quality. Um, So I've always been 
been interested in technology and incorporating it to make things more efficiently. Um, I really do think technology should be our ally to the work that we do. Um, but I would say maybe the main significant thing that changed my experience in the work that I do or that I was doing was finding um, a niche in video game localization when where I finally felt at home. I finally felt that, you know, that's where I sh should be and what I should be doing. It, it felt right. Speaking of the video game localization field, uh, that's something, it's a subject that's very dear and near to you. And I've invited you to speak about that uh, today with me and with the rest of the industry, whoever is listening. Um, you've been heavily engaged in, in this field. Uh, please give us an overview of this part of the industry. What does it look like today? So video game localization is very, interest, uh, very interesting because it's a pretty complex specialization. Uh, you're dealing with multimedia content. So subtitling, dubbing, those are things that might, you know, um, be similar in nature. Uh, and because it's multimedia content, the image, the sound, the text that you localize um, have to be always taken into account. So it's a, it's a specialization that requires extreme attention to detail and a lot of reference material to get the content right. Um, also a lot of creativity as well, because we do, we actually do a lot of transcreation type of work in that specialization. But yes, I'm very passionate about it, so I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> Before we dive deeper, Marina, uh, let's take a look at the prominent and major players in this uh, in this field in video game localization. Can you talk about who are the buyers and who are the suppliers in this field? Yes. So to simplify it, there are basically two types of buyers, I would say, in this industry, the indie game developers and the publishers. The indie game developers might have um, budget constraints, so, so to say, but they are also deeply invested in the quality of the game. So even though they might not be the bigger players, you really never know which game is going to be successful and it's going to take off. So working directly with the developers can be um, very satisfying, also artistically, artistically very satisfying. Um, and then on the other hand, you have publisher, right? So that those are the companies that finance, they they market, they distribute the video game, and they they also fund the game development. Um, and they they are involved in in marketing and distribution, and and many times they they um, uh, they're involved also in the monetization, I would say, or local than the localization uh, efforts, so to say. So they really play a crucial role in bringing games to a global audience and maximizing their success there. Um, so, um, yes, but you also asked about uh, suppliers. So for localization, there are um, localization companies. There are also testing companies um, that um, offer services to these buyers. Um, there are not that many localization companies that are truly specialized in this domain, mainly because it does require a high level of expertise and experience and, and also familiarization with the, the processes and technologies in gaming. But there are a couple of very big players and uh, a handful of, of medium-sized players that are that are specialized in, in gaming specifically. Marina, you walk us through the process of localizing a video game uh, today in the context of online. You have multiplayer uh, with a variety of delivery media, right? And it's now you can get uh, acquire the video game and play it on different type of uh, hardware or devices. And and there is a changing appetite from consumers. And if you could just tie that to localization and how we deliver value yeah so um so talking about the steps like the steps that are usually taken even before that you localize a game so right so it starts with the globalization where you study the different markets and based on the characteristics of the game you decide um i say you decide but really like the publisher uh or the developer decide which market they want to pursue um there there's usually also an internationalization step where the content is prepared for localization just then the game is localized and uh after localization there's usually 
actually also linguistic quality control, testing of the game. So there are very many different complex processes involved. Um, but something important to note is that in gaming, you're not just translating uh, the in-game content itself. You are also dealing with a lot of uh, other type of content, such as technical manuals, you have legal agreements, you have marketing content. So um, actually a large portion of the localization efforts will be put there, right? In localizing to uh, marketing content to promote the game internationally. Um, and also something very particular is that in this industry, you're dealing with a lot of very passionate, very vocal fans. <laughs> So it's it's very important to handle with a lot of care, right? Using the the right terminology, um, the right systems, the right communication system uh, with everyone involved, so that the quality, you know, is beyond excellent. Because the success of a game in a given market can really depend on it. Um, so I would say in that in that regard, this specialization is very particular. Marina, how about what this market looks like in terms of uh, capital? Can you talk about the mm. size of this market for us, please, and the language? language suppliers, uh, what type of opportunities exist there? Yeah, it's it's uh, the video the video game market is actually a really, really big market. It's uh, estimated at more than 200 billion. It's bigger than the music industry and that the film industry combined. Uh, so it's a very big market. Um, if you are an LSE interested in this industry, there are uh, verticals that can certainly help you gain experience that can then be easily transferred to gaming. So for example, the entertainment industry, if you work uh, with movies, subtitling, uh, dubbing, those are definitely relevant uh, experience. The same if you work in transcreation or type of like create more like creative type of, of project um, that can also um, be applied to gaming, creative writing, copywriting, all those uh, things can actually be really complementary. Besides North America and Europe, as well as Asia and Japan, where video games are basically dominating in terms of uh, sales, what other markets and demographics are generating demand where localization can fill the gap? That I love that question uh, because, yes, the biggest market nowadays is North America, um, followed by China, Japan. Um, but there are many emerging markets that are going uh, really growing rapidly, uh, namely India, Latin America, and um, Africa. So those are markets that are just really interesting for developers, especially for certain types of games. Um, say mobile gaming, for example, though, um, it's growing really rapidly in those areas. So it's something definitely to, to keep in mind, depending on you know what type of game you have and what your strategy is. What type of specific skill sets do translators need in order to effectively translate a video game because a video game the concept is not in your regular text as you mentioned earlier yeah yeah um, I think it's very useful to have an interest or an affinity for games um, perhaps you know they're not a, like an active gamer right now by the, but they were in the past so it's because it's important to understand the games to play them to to see the game from the gamer's perspective so in video game localization it's all about the gamer comes first so you have to bear in mind that the purpose of your translation is entertainment and resonating with the player of the game. So if you are a gamer, you can put yourself in the player's shoes and see the game from their perspective. Um, another thing, um, of course, getting along with technology, with cat tools, feeling comfortable translating a variety of different tech, uh, because you might be dealing with, you know, a game manual one day or a dialogue or something more creative in nature. Um, it really varies a lot depending on the type of game. Um, so creativity is great in this field. Uh, copywriting, literary translation, subtitling, those are specializations 
conversations that can be similar in nature to games. Um, and also, I would say being very resourceful can help <laughs> because you do have to do a lot of research and ask a lot of uh, questions. Uh, so a lot of different things. <laughs> what are the different components of video game localization output? Uh, I know you talked about the process earlier, but obviously you have text, as you mentioned, voice, even video uh, that needs to be subtitled at times. How deep do today's modern video games go in order to culturally satisfy the end user in, in a specific market? So in games, it's very important to be relevant uh, relevant to gamers in the different markets. And this means you might have to go beyond translation and really adapt certain aspects of the game to cater to different audiences. Culturalization, for example, is something that I see more and more companies embrace where they will include uh, in the game some cultural aspects to resonate with a particular market. Um, and you also have to take into account that markets have different regulations. Um, in some countries, you, you cannot show skeleton or you cannot show war content or you cannot show blood. So, so it's very important to take these things into account even when developing the game to make sure that local regulations are met. Uh, Marina, how are the video game localization teams inside the largest studios structured? I'm sure they have in-house teams there that uh, you know deal with their most common markets. Uh, what do you know about them and what can you tell us? It varies quite a bit. Actually, um, the more mature localization departments do have uh, you know good-sized in-house teams, uh, including project managers. Sometimes they have in-house translators or in-house reviewers, or they do the linguistic quality control in-house. Um, and other, other companies, they outsource everything. They might have one person sort of in charge of, of overseeing the localization efforts, but they outsource everything. So it varies. It varies uh, from company to company. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. How effective are these game studios in presenting a native level a localized experience through their in-house teams for their users um, versus if they were to get this outsourced? Uh, would there be a difference in terms of user experience? Hmm, there could be. Um, I, I would say, first of all, the more mature studios understand the difference, like the, um, the importance of localization. They see it as an investment, really, as a market enabler. So they put a lot of focus in getting it done right. Uh, whether you do it internally or internally, it, high quality is paramount. So they choose vendors very carefully. They measure um, quality with different metrics to make sure that it's where it needs to be. Um, less mature studios might struggle a bit, actually. They would you know, see localization more of, as an afterthought. Um, indie game studios have also tried to do things like crowdsourcing or like you know, fan-supported uh, translations um, with very mixed results. Um, but yeah, as I said, fans are very vocal in this uh, industry and they're very vocal about quality and they will express their gratitude for a job well done, but also their rage for <laughs> poor quality. <laughs> But it's important, actually, uh, to get that type of user interaction mm -hmm. and interest because that feedback will drive your product development, right? And you Absolutely. get to know what works and what doesn't work. We have all witnessed, uh, in the context of the recent economy, we've we've witnessed a slowdown in the tech sector with many companies laying off staff in many areas, including localization. Marina, how is that impacting the localization activity? Um, are gaming companies, for example, relying more on their localization partners? Have you noticed if they have 
have reduced localization spend, what is the trajectory looking like? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, it's very unfortunate um, because, yes, the gaming industry actually experienced a lot of layoffs, uh, hundreds and hundreds of layoffs across many companies this year. So it is the aftermath of a very big surge in video games during the pandemic. Um, so the sector grew exponentially during the pandemic because so many people were inside their house playing video games. <laughs> um, but it, this year, it appears that the industry has sort of regularized itself. Um, even though it keeps growing, it's not growing at the pace that it was growing during the pandemic. Um, so it might be early to tell what will happen with localization because most of these layoffs happened very recently, really, in the, the past two, three months. Um, so I think there could be budget reductions and localization could be affected, but only time will tell. And I do hope it regularizes itself pretty quickly. Just as a follow-up to that question, if there were layoffs from the localization um, from those teams that were working mm -hmm. in the uh, video gaming sector, it, th those people have a lot of expertise and knowledge and uh, background that they could bring into the localization industry, uh, such as LSPs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we can retool ourselves. Do you see any, any interest in that? That's very interesting. Yeah, because um, really technology and game localization go hand in hand. Um, right. it, it, it really does. So um, if you work in this area, you have to be at the forefront of technology and um, something that might be relevant today, you know, might change or evolve tomorrow. So it's an industry that moves very fast. Um, I, I sometimes like to think how far we've come uh, when studi studios, you know, originally didn't even hire professional translators for doing localization of their games. They would do it internally with people who like more or less spoke the language. Um, there are so much, in fact, there are so many funny mistakes from the 80s, the 90s, like even from the 2000s of translators that, you know, went completely wrong. Uh, but the situation has changed dramatically. Now we have so much technology to help us do our work efficiently and take care of quality. Um, so yeah, I do think those two industries go hand in hand and they can complement and they do complement each other completely. Are there parts of game localization processes that can be automated today um, from your experience? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very important to find automations whenever possible because um, usually you get, um, you actually get very short deadlines. Uh, you know, they're tied to launch dates. Many times they're, you know, we are racing against the clock. Um, so creating automations whenever possible is very important. And um, yeah, there are lots of ways to automate, you know, part of project management, part of the QA process and the like. So um, yeah, savvy companies should definitely be doing that. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the changing landscape in technology. You talked about how it is complemented, what translators and, and localizers have been doing, but have uh, new innovators, innovations such as generative AI impacted game localization? And if so, how? Yeah, very relevant questions. <laughs> so some companies uh, have embraced machine translation, neural machine translation post-editing uh, for content that is not high visibility um, in, in gaming. Um, but because game localization relies so much on adaptation and is nuanced, is full of very specific terminology and lore, and it has so much culture-sensitive content, it's usually not suited for using AI, you know, by itself. Um, I do see that we are incorporating the use of large language models in the daily work that we do, um, not to translate, but mostly as a tool to help brainstorm ideas, uh, to gather information more efficiently, um, 
AI can be applied to things like, you know, extracting terminology or uh, determining the quality of a translation memory to, you know, to to summarize, to, to look up information. Um, but it should always be, you know, a highly specialized human at the core of handling this technology. It's a very powerful technology, but it needs to be handled correctly. To add to that, uh, as, a, as an industry, uh, as a whole, basically, we are undergoing a technological evol- evolution. Where do you see the gaming industry with regards to global reach in the next 10 years? Yeah, I think definitely emerging markets are going to be a lot more prominent in the next 10 years. Um, more people have access to technology, more people have access to reliable internet services. Uh, so more users will engage with gaming worldwide. I only see localization growing in the future. Marina, recently we saw the concept of things such as the metaverse, which is now a relic of the recent history. What other <laughs> innovations can drive the, the demand for localization in the gaming and esports space? Well, first of all, I love this topic because I actually do think that the metaverse will have a place in our society in the future. Uh, we're not there yet, but um, but I do think we will be in the future. Um, there is technology nowadays that sort of resembles a metaverse. I mean, my son plays um, a metaverse-like technology by playing games like Roblox, for example. I feel like I'm, I'm a user of a metaverse also by playing Fortnite. <laughs> um, I actually, I would highly recommend a book. I have it here. I have it here uh, on my desk. It's called um, The Metaverse and how it will revolutionize everything. The author is uh, Matthew Ball. Uh, But yeah, I do see a future there. And um, also, I think in the future, XR technology uh, will be more on demand as more people have access to that type of equipment. Um, So I see an opportunity there for uh, the localization of VR technology. I think it will continue to grow. If you were to send a message uh, to the gaming industry at this moment, what would you tell the executives in that vertical uh, in terms of localization, globalization, and, and reaching out new markets? I would say focus on inclusivity and accessibility. There is a huge market out there that is still not being catered for uh, and who wants to be part of the gaming world. So it would be really nice to give them a space. <laughs> Absolutely. In closing, uh, Marina, what is your message and advice for our industry in general and for game localization players such as LSPs and translators in particular? Hmm. Well, I, I think we have a great opportunity now in our industry with the introduction of generative AI um, and large language models. I think it's important to use it as a tool to make our work better. Um, we have always been very adaptable as an industry. So I think we are at the right place at the right time for that. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind is that we need to, to get our linguists involved in these conversations. I, I sometimes see company owners or leaders talking about AI in a certain way. And then I turn to talk to people actually doing the localization work, you know, giving a completely different perspective. Um, So I think it's important that all players of the translation industry are respected and are included in these experiments and these conversations. That would be my two cents. (laughs) Absolutely. That was a very deep and interesting conversation. I'm so happy you could join me today and cover this fascinating part of our industry, which brings entertainment and fun to billions of people around the world. There's so much more to learn about the video game localization field. And uh, your personal story was so interesting to hear. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. I'm sure there's a lot more that the industry can learn from you. Uh, I personally look forward to learning more from you. And with that, thank you for sharing your experience and your thoughts with us, Marina. Oh, thank you so much, Sultan. It's been an honor, an honor, really, and so fun to talk to you. So thank you for having me. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. 
Video games have now become an accepted part of our culture whether we are in the west or in the east and it seems like it is taking a big chunk of our collective time as a form of entertainment, education and sport. Given the universal interest in this technology, accessibility and language medium are critical aspects that will define the success of a particular game beyond its traditional market. With video games, there are so many dimensions of localization such as text translation, voice over localization, subtitle translation, video localization, on-screen text localization, signage and scenario localization, marketing and collateral as well as trailers and much more. Tying all of these together into consistent localized experience is a tricky but rewarding experience. The challenge is wide open to LSPs and this is a growing market where our skills and abilities can make a big difference. LSPs in this domain must possess a certain degree of technical competence as well as an interest in gaming in general. The work is also not straightforward because the concept and content of the game will define the type of localization that will be required. What a fascinating and interesting conversation with Marina about video game localization. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope you did too. Please share your thoughts and comments and let me know if you would like to hear from a specific guest or about a particular topic related to translation and localization. That brings us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk Podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible or your platform of choice and give this episode a good rating. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 